If you'll turn in your Bibles for the remaining time to Luke, the eighth chapter. I don't mind telling you the thought for this sermon came from another sermon. That often happens. I'm sure any of the preachers that you know could share that sentiment also. I was listening to Brother John Morgan preach up at Zion. If you haven't heard The Maker and The Taker, you need to listen to that one on the podcast. It's fantastic. And I thought about six sermons during that sermon. I was paying attention now. But he'd go here and he'd go there. Brother Furman knows what I'm talking about. It takes your mind here, takes your mind there when the preacher's preaching. It's supposed to do that. So I wrote down several different things in that message, and this was one of them. It's been sticking with me, so pray for me this morning that we can honor the Lord by bringing this message to you. The title of the message is Trouble Not the Master. Look at Luke, the 8th chapter, and let's read verse 40. We'll set the context. And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had one only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And the next few verses is the account of as he goes to this Jairus' house, The woman with the issue of blood touches him, touches the hem of his garment. And you have that account right there where he stops and he pauses and he begins to deal with that situation all the while the clock is ticking. You know, those ifs, ands, and buts, those things are in there for a purpose. Notice it says, but as he went, the people thronged him. He's going to the bedside of a dying girl, but as he went, the people thronged him. And the account goes on down to verse 48 where... Jesus addresses the woman with the issue of blood. Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace. And in verse 49, it says, While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, that's Jairus' house, and saying unto him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. This morning as we consider that phrase, trouble not the master, I want you to see and think about in your own life, the times that you have gone to the Lord and in prayer and troubled Him, if you will. The world is always going to say, it's pointless, it's hopeless, there's no way around this. I believe that Brother Darby's prayer this morning captured some of my thought that's going on in my mind this morning about things that we face that we just can't get around, right, brother? But the Lord, you don't ever count Him out. Never count Him out. So just so you can understand what's going on here in Luke, the 8th chapter, very, very briefly, I want you to think about what has happened previously. And I'm just going to hit the highlights, okay? The beginning of the chapter, you read about Jesus traveling with Mary Magdalene, out of whom was cast seven devils, and a woman named Joanna, and another woman named Susanna. These were very prominent women. Mary, very well known for bad reasons. Joanna and Susanna, very well known because they were, you might say, high society And here they are traveling around and making provision for this carpenter. In the earlier part of Luke, the eighth chapter, with all that's going on, he gives the parable of the sower in the account of Luke. His mother and his brethren come to him and he's surrounded by people. And they say, your mother and your brethren are outside. And he says, who are my mother and my brethren other than those that do the will of God? You are the the brethren and sisters of Christ if you do the will of God. That's a profound statement. And he goes across the sea to the area of the Gadarenes. And while he's on the sea, you'll read the account there that he rebuked the sea and and stopped the winds from blowing and the waves from crashing. 
And he goes into the land of the Gadarenes. That's where he encounters what I refer to, affectionately refer to as the Incredible Hulk of the New Testament. <laughs> the wild Gadarene who could not be held by chains, could not be held by ropes, was an untamable force in that area and feared greatly. And Jesus just sets him down just like a little child because of his power. And the lovely people of the area of Gadarene were so enthused over him remedying that problem for them that they asked him to leave. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, does it? So he goes back across to the same area that he was in, and that's where this account occurs. He continues to preach and to teach. And you might say that what we're about to read here is the apex, is the pinnacle of what's going on in, in these very eventful. And you also might look at it from the standpoint, you know, this is the thick of his ministry on earth. I mean, these things are just happening one after the other after the other. I mean, it's just like a snowball that's rolling and just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So think about this man who comes to him. Who was Jairus? I tell you, he was a powerful man. He was an influential man. It says he was the leader of the synagogue. And this is most likely Capernaum, which is a town, an area where a lot of things happened in the ministry of Jesus. So he was a big wig. He was a top dog in the area of Capernaum. And he was a Jewish man. And he was the leader of the synagogue. That means he was the one that presided over the Sabbath day things that went on. He sometimes would speak the Word of God to them from the Old Testament. He would do the reading and maybe make comments on it. Or at the very least, he made sure that everything ran smoothly. That's what this guy was, the leader of the synagogue. The synagogue would basically be the area where the Jewish people gathered. It's like a local assembly in a, a local town, very much like our churches today. He was a powerful and influential man, but he was also a desperate father. And notice in verse 41, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus' feet. He has come to trouble the master. He has come to lay himself bare before the Lord. Can you picture this? Think of highly influential people that you know. Maybe a governor, if you know someone. or just I'm not saying you know them personally, but if you know who they are. Or if you know uh, some big time person or, or a mayor of a great city. Or even some preachers that you know that are leading congregations. And just imagine if you were there and you watched and you saw that man who carries all this weight and all this influence. And he goes and he just falls down at the feet of this man, Jesus Christ. This man is troubled. <laughs> and he's come to press the issue He's come to press his issue to Jesus. Now, you have this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in the account of Matthew, he refers to his daughter as my daughter. In this account in Luke, it says it was his only daughter. And I love what it says in Mark, because <laughs> it says that she was my little daughter. And it's a little bit different word than just daughter. And when I looked up the word, the definition, and it is a different word, it said daughterling. That sounded like something off the Lord of the Rings, Brother Luke. <laughs> you know, a halfling, <laughs> but he refers to a daughterling. I mean, this is a very special little girl to him. She's 12 years old. In one of the accounts, he says she is even now dead. <laughs> in another account, it says she is at the point of death. And in another account still, it says she lay dying. Hey, look, I'm a sappy guy. I admit it. I'm sappy. <laughs> I can get emotional and sappy. Things get to me and... I think God knew he was playing a joke on me whenever he blessed me with four daughters. <laughs> he just wanted me to get more sappy and more emotional. And I love my son, too. Now, don't get me wrong, but the dynamic is different with daughters and sons. It's just different. It's different. It doesn't mean I love either one any more or any less. But I think I can identify with how this man felt towards his little daughter. Okay? Y'all know that Sister Elizabeth just got her driver's license, which is 
mind-blowing. We always say that. And those of you that have never experienced that, when your child turns 16 one day, you'll say the same thing. And you'll say, oh, I get it. Mind-blowing. And none of the other children getting their driver's license has really bothered me, other than praying like crazy to make sure they stay safe on the road. It's just, oh, it's great. It's a but this one bothered me. Because I get in the back of Elizabeth's car, and she's sitting in the driver's seat, and then 13-year-old Miss Lila is sitting right next to her. And y'all know, they don't want me to say this anymore, but I always refer to them as the two little old ladies. You know, and they're just like two little old ladies. They got their system already, like within a few days. You know, you work the radio, I work the steering wheel, praise God. <laughs> you know, you do this, I do that. And man, they just got it. Down. And I'm sitting in the back and I'm about to bawl like a baby. Not only is my 16-year-old Elizabeth, you know, driving around now, but now she's driving around my baby, <laughs> my little daughter. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm, I'm toast, you know. It's over for me. You never know what's going to hit you. But that hit me like crazy. Doesn't mean I don't love any of the others or pray any less for any of the others now. That's just a different experience. And here comes this man. I want you to think about this. I believe he's very much like that. I believe he's somewhat sappy in a good way towards his daughter. Can you picture this now? A couple years ago when my dad passed away, and we knew that the hour was approaching, the moment was approaching when he would take his last breath, it would have taken a lot to have pulled me away from his bedside. I mean, it would have had to be like an earthquake bringing the house down or something. And even then, we'd, you know, we'd probably still try to stick there with him, right, Mom? This man leaves the bedside of his dying daughter. Can you picture that? We know there's people there at the house because it says when they get back there, they're already mourning. But this man gets up from the bedside, possibly, probably holding the hand of his dying little daughter. I'm sure the people say, where's he going? What's he doing? She's about to die. He's leaving her side. And he's got a mission in mind. He's going to trouble the master. He's going to press the issue with Jesus Christ himself. Word has come to him that the Son of God, the Messiah, this Jesus of Nazareth, is now back in Capernaum. And he's somewhere near probably the seashore, headed towards town or into town. So he leaves the bedside of his dying daughter. That's important, to go and press the issue with the Son of God. We want to make some observations about this as I'm sure somebody questioned him. Where are you going? I don't know if he said, I'm going to press the issue with Christ. I don't know if he did or not. He might have said, hey, I'll be back. I've heard Jesus is over here. Well, your daughter's about to die. I've got a mission I'm on. I'm going to press this issue with Jesus because I've heard about what he does and has done. And also, can you picture poor old J.I.R. standing by as Jesus is thronged by the crowd. He's trying to push the way through the crowd. We're on an important mission here. We're going to save the life of my dying or possibly already dead daughter. She's only got a few more breaths. She's 12 years old. She's my precious little one. And the crowd just keeps thronging him. And then the woman with the issue of blood, that occurs. You know that took some few minutes. And I believe, I believe that while Jesus was detained dealing with the woman with the issue of blood, I believe that's when Jairus' daughter died. In Jairus' mind, if he hadn't been detained, if the crowd hadn't been there, maybe he would have gotten there in time to do something. And that's when we read in verse 49, while Jesus yet spake to the woman with the issue of blood that he had just healed, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. There's no reason to press the issue anymore. There's no reason to bother him anymore. And I want you to think about the word trouble there. It means literally to harass the old English definition was to flay, which to flay means to take some whip or something and strike the skin 
until the skin breaks. But the imagery that's given here is don't keep pestering Jesus. Don't keep pressing this issue. There's no point anymore. You have pressed it long enough and now just stop because it's pointless. She's dead. I want you to think about what that conveys to a child of God. And may we never, ever discourage one another in the way that that is so discouraging. Coming and saying there's no point, don't press your issue anymore, don't trouble Jesus anymore, it is definitely injuring to the faith of a child of God. Don't you know when Jairus, I know that it hurt Jairus. His daughter is dead. There's confirmation there. And he says, it's too late. Don't worry about it. Just go on your way, Jesus. That's what the person from the, his, his house said. And notice what Jesus said in response to that. The person coming from the house said, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, He answered him and said, Fear not. Believe only and she shall be made whole. Isn't that something? So the world says, or somebody that doesn't understand the things of God or the power of God, that's just no point. Just give up. Don't worry about troubling the Master anymore. And Jesus' response to that is, fear not, only believe. Only believe. Keep pressing the issue. Give it your best. Keep following and pressing on to the Lord. You see, it says that when He came into the house, verse 51, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And they all wept when they got there, and they bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. Now that's quite a difference in range of emotions, is it not? Can you picture those people in there in a house of mourning? You might think about the funeral home and the line that goes through the, through the funeral home. I've actually been in a house of mourning when we were in Africa in 2006. We went up into the mountains, into the villages, and we went to a house of mourning where a woman's son had died. He was in his 30s. And Brother David Crawford and Brother Obey and some others, went, or Brother Kenny, were with us. And we went into this house of mourning, and the women were lined up around the wall, including the mother and the sisters and all of the man who died. And it was like a greeting line in the funeral home, but it was in their house. And so we began to go around and shake hands and speak to each person there. Many of them didn't even know the language, our, our, what we were saying, but we were just consoling them. So Jesus comes into a place very similar to that, into a house of mourning where they're just lining the walls and the, they're weeping and they're wailing and they're lamenting. And, and they're, it seems to be heartfelt. <laughs> but I wonder, because they go instantly from this heartfelt, oh, we, we're so sad over this, this that has happened to Jairus' little daughter. And Jesus says, weep not. She's not dead. She just sleeps. And then they go, ha! <laughs> just immediately turn into scorning and laughing. Ha, 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 ha! Making fun of Jesus. I tell you, child of grace, when you press your issues to the Lord, when you trouble the Master, you will see things in this life that others do not see. The scoffers and the scorners of the world cannot see it. Another point is, she was dead. Her heart was not beating anymore. But it was no more than like waking somebody up from sleep for Jesus. You understand? So you know what Jesus did? When they laughed at Him and when they mocked Him and they scoffed at Him, Jesus puts them all out. He says, get out. Get out. That's kind of rude, wasn't it? Well, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. He puts them all out. <laughs> and he goes in there with the little child. I could just picture that in my mind. He put them all out, verse 54, took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. Aren't you glad that Jairus continued to trouble the master? Aren't you glad that he continued to press the issue? 
And it says her spirit came again and she arose straightway and he commanded to give her meat and her parents were, understandably, astonished. But he charged them that they shouldn't tell no man what was done. Child of grace, the world will discourage you from troubling the master. It will, it will tell you there's no point. Many in the world will even say, you know, God's not even real. You know, you don't, you're just praying to nothing. <laughs> but you know better. You know that the resurrection of the Lord from the grave and the fact that you can't find His grave indicates and confirms the power of God. So trouble the Master. Amen. Keep troubling Him. Press the, press the issue. Let me give you a few examples here as we close this morning of people that press the issue. Now remember this. Just because you press the issue does not always mean that the maid, the child, is going to rise up from the dead. You read over in the book of 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, after Nathan had come to David and pointed that, as I've always said, the long bony finger at David and said, Thou art the man that has killed this woman's husband, and now you've taken her to wife, and you have this child. He says, Thou art the man. David admitted and confessed, and Nathan uh, told David that because of his sin and the way that he had caused such infamy and such terrible, uh, terrible reputation to come upon himself and upon the nation of Israel, he said, I'm going to take the child. I'm going to take the life of that child. Now listen to me. That doesn't mean that every time you see a child that passes from this life, it doesn't mean that that's a judgment of God. Very limited circumstances have we ever seen in the Word of God where God actually exercised judgment and took the life of someone. Here he says, I'm going to take the life of this little toddler. I believe he was a toddler. If you do the math and think about nine months of her being expecting the child and some time had gone by, he's probably a toddler. He's probably two or less. So you know what David does? David doesn't throw a fit like a lot of people would do and get mad at God. David knows that he has sinned and David knows that the judgment is just on him. But you know what he does? He goes and he prays and he fasts for seven days. Now that is intimidating to me. We're talking about pressing on to the Lord and we're talking about troubling the Master. That is intimidating to me. And I'm not saying that's the key. Well, if you'll just do it seven days because you'll see how it worked out. I've heard of people praying, and I think it's wonderful, people that have prayed for many hours and people that have done things like that. I guess I just don't have enough patience because I feel very weak in that area. I'll begin to press an issue with the Lord, you know, and after about seven or eight minutes, you know, I'm kind of tired or worn out. I've even found myself at night, if I'm praying, falling asleep. That's terrible, isn't it? But you know you've done the same thing. David fasted and prayed for seven days, asking the Lord, please don't take this child. Please don't take this child. Let the sin be upon me. The Lord took the child. So, what does David do? David gets up, and he goes and he worships. You get that? He goes and he worships. He didn't throw a fit. He didn't throw a spiritual temper tantrum. He didn't get mad at God because God didn't grant the request that he was making. You know, you got Jairus over here whose little daughter was brought back from the dead. And then you've got David praying over here, a man after God's own heart. And the little boy, he dies. What about Hannah? 1 Samuel, the first chapter, where you read about Hannah who was, had an eating disorder. She was in such bad, depressive state. And she goes to the priest and she begins to pray. And the priest thinks, of course, you know, she's drunk, but she's not drunk. She's praying. She's, she's got a sorrowful spirit. And the priest doesn't even ask what she's praying for. You know, Eli, he just says, the Lord grant your petition. And the Lord did. She was praying for a child. She was praying to have a child. And she had a child. So you see, the point of it is this. It's not about getting the answer that you're after. 
It's about pressing the issue with the Lord and troubling the Master because He hears you. You understand that? We could go on with many, many other examples like the three Hebrew children who stood before the king and said, Oh, king, we're not careful to answer you. We will not bow to you. If you throw us in the fire and we burn, this is in the book of Daniel, the three Hebrew children, if, he, if you throw us in the fire and we burn, then so be it. But our God, who is the master of the fire, is able to deliver us. And if He does, fine. But if He doesn't, we're willing to burn. You know, there's some things in life that just require no prayer. They're, they're what we call no-brainers. You know, and I don't know if your moment like that would ever come, but that is a no-brainer. When you're standing before the kings of the world and the kings of the world are demanding that you bow down to them, we do not bow to the kings of the world. We bow to the king of all the worlds, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm sure that as those young men, they were probably late teens, early 20s, as those young men were being tossed into the fire and the flames reached out and licked and killed the men that threw them in the fire, some of Nebuchadnezzar's best men, I'm sure they were thinking, well, this is it. (laughs) I'm not saying they had a smile on their face. I'm sure it wasn't too pleasant to think about, but I'm certain in their mind, they didn't know what was about to happen. They didn't know that the master of the fire was going to appear to them in the fire. You see? They pressed the issue and God went a little bit further with them. Does that make sense? If they hadn't pressed the issue, they never would have seen the Lord in the fire. If Jairus hadn't pressed the issue and left the bedside of his daughter, he never would have been in there with Peter, James, and John, and Jesus, and his wife, and seen the miracle, the pinnacle of those, that chapter there, where we read all these great things that Jesus was doing. And they were all great. Casting out the demon from the wild Gadarene was an amazing thing. But it's even more amazing to bring somebody back from the dead. You see? When you press on, and you continue to press your issues with the Lord, you are going to see things that the world does not see. And from a personal standpoint, you're going to see things that other people, other children of God may not see because you're there in that moment dealing with those issues. You press on. They told Jairus to trouble not the master. Luke the 18th chapter as we close our thoughts here this morning. And I was going to read two or three psalms, and then I kept cutting them down. So that's too much. They're too much, too much. So now I'm, I'm cutting them all out, but I'm just telling you. <laughs> if you say, well, I can't find anybody to identify with my emotional situation. The psalms are almost exclusively emotional. Did you know that? Oh, Lord, I'm crying to you from the pit. Lord, I've got this trouble. All the verses that, I, that, I've, that I've written down had to do with trouble. Lord, I'm in trouble. Help me. Lord, I need help. You see, that's what God is all about. He wants to hear our cry. He wants us to press our issues to Him. David, the man after God's own heart, pressed those issues again and again and again. Sometimes the Lord delivered. Sometimes He didn't. Luke 18, as we close here this morning. Luke 18, He spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray, to press your issues to the Lord and not to faint. Listen now saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me. You hear the word? I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. 
This is the Lord's words. This is an actual event that happened. And it says, Shall not God avenge His own elect which cried day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. You might say it like this. The subject is prayer. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man coming, shall the Lord find any of His children pressing their issues to Him? You can read it just like that. Because men ought always to pray. The unjust judge. Hear what the unjust judge saith. The unjust judge who cared not for God nor regarded man said, She troubles me. She's bothering me. She would appear at court. She would appear in the gate of the city. She would appear where he would go to lunch. She would appear when he was off work in the afternoon. She was always there crying out, Avenge me. Avenge me. Help me, judge. I need help. Help me. And he got so sick and tired of hearing her, he didn't grant her wish, grant her avenging because he felt sorry for her. He didn't grant her a request because he felt compassion for her. He was just tired of her continuing to come to him and troubling him. She was harassing him to the degree that he finally said, okay, whatever it is you want, I'll grant it. (laughs) What kind of judge is that? And Jesus says, your God in heaven is not that way. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to hear your crying and your complaints. He wants you to trouble him. It's not troubling him from the standpoint of the world. Trouble not the master. But from the standpoint of God, the Lord says, trouble me, bring it to me, press the issue to me. You see, oh, child of grace, if you've ever been in those kind of moments where you continue to press those issues regardless of how they came out, what a glorious thing that is. Several years ago, many of you know when Brother David Crawford got so deathly sick in Tanzania. That morning when we woke up, he came to my room and he had sweat pouring over his face. He said, Brother Tim, I'm sick. And of course, I still don't understand the severity of the situation. I really didn't understand it all day. But I knew the first thought that came in my mind was what the doctors had told us before we went to Africa. That if you get sick, get out. (laughs) Get home. The first thought that came to my mind, we need to get home. That was on Sunday. We weren't to fly till Tuesday. And if you know anything about Africa, the wheels turn so slow over there. And relax. Listen, we're not going to have a handshake this morning. So relax while we close out with this this little story, if you'll indulge me. (laughs) The wheels turn slowly over there. It takes days. I tried to move my ticket up when I was in Ghana to get over there with Brother David. I had to stay in eight days in Ghana because I couldn't move my ticket up. So I'm thinking, it's probably not likely from a natural standpoint that we're going to get out of here today. So we went on to church. Somehow he made it through the service and somehow he made it through the ordination of the brothers that we were ordaining to the ministry. And as soon as that was over, about 3 o'clock that afternoon, I felt something was pressing me. I'm not going to sit here and say, well, the hand was on me. But I tell you, I felt pressed, and I went to the airport. And at every stage, every step when I went to that airport, it was a block. It was one of those obstacles, Brother Darby, that just couldn't seem to get around. Well, they're not open. Well, can I go and wait on them? About to lose my voice. They're closed. Well, can I just go in the hall and wait on them? Yeah, if you leave your driver's license, you can. I'm thinking, leave my driver's license in Africa? (laughs) There's probably somebody over there today running around that's claiming to be me. Who knows? So I went and I waited in the hall, and nobody's there. It's an hour or two away before they come. Well, somebody finally comes down the hall. By the way, I talked to all of you during that period of time. Somewhere in there, I was talking to you because you were meeting on that Sunday morning. So a little fellow came walking down the hall, and he said, I'm sorry, our flight is overbooked. There's no way that you can get on this flight. (laughs) Something was telling me just to keep pressing the issue. 
I said, well, could you check? Could you just do a little checking for me? I gave him the name. I gave him the passports. He did a little checking for about 15 minutes. He says, I have Mr. Crawford booked on the flight <laughs> to go home tonight at 12. And I said, what about Mr. McCool? <laughs> he did some little pecking on his keyboard a little bit more, and he said, I have Mr. McCool booked on there too. That's 9 o'clock. We fly at 12. We got to get out of here. We got to get loaded. I go back to Brother David's room, and I begin to bang on his door for about 10 minutes, banging on his door. He's in what I call just a death sleep. He's sick. He's a 104-degree temperature. Finally, he comes to the door. I was about to go and get the key so that we could get in. He finally comes to the door, and we, he says, what is it, Brother Tim? I said, we're going home, brother. He said, Brother Tim, I can't. I looked at him. I said, brother, we're going home. We will get you there. If I have to stand up and you have to lean on me, we're going home. <laughs> we continued to press the issue. Loaded up his stuff, got to the airport, had to change our tickets and pay the money when we got to the airport. For the last week in Tanzania, they would not accept any $100 bills earlier than 2003 because it had a counterfeit issue over there. And that cut out about half of my money. Only about half of my hundreds were newer than 2003. And every place we had went, they had turned down our 2003 or earlier $100 bills because they liked the Americans' cash, but it, it didn't want to be a counterfeit. And we didn't have any counterfeits, but they just wouldn't take them. There was one place that took them. It's when I went and upgraded and paid $300 a piece to upgrade those tickets because that's all I had left. I said, I'm just going to have to trust in the Lord and press that issue. They never looked at the date. They took the money, upgraded the tickets. We were in. And I even, as a side note, I even went to the gift shop to buy the kids something because we were leaving so fast. I went to buy the kids something, and I had all this stuff loaded up in my arms, shirts and you know, little whatnots and little knickknacks and things like that. And I laid it on the counter and I handed the lady my money and she said, sorry, it's 2003 or earlier. <laughs> Even the gift shop wouldn't let me use it. So we finally get ready to fly out. And I'm thinking, this is an eight, nine hour flight. It's going to be horrible. We're going to be on an overcrowded, overbooked flight. It's going to be terrible. I don't mind it, but I'm worried about Brother David because he's sick. He's, he's in bad shape. and He's a tall man. Those seats are crowded. Well, brothers and sisters, I tell you the truth of God. As we got on that plane, and I saw where my ticket was, it was buried beneath two or three people, one from India, one from Africa, you know, very little elbow room. <laughs> I said, Brother David, well, let's see where your ticket is. And his ticket was on a front aisle with leg room stretching out to where the aisle was that you could walk through easily. <laughs> God can even provide a seat for a man who is ill and not well. We got Brother David out that night and back into America eventually. And of course, as you know, thank God he's still with us today. He'll tell you that he was going to die in Africa. But if we don't press our issues, if we don't keep pressing, you might not be in a moment like that. You may just be pressing your issue before the Lord day after day after day after day. Keep pressing the issue. Even when somebody says it's not worth it, you will see things that others can never see. When they come to you and they say, don't trouble the master anymore. Keep troubling the master. Keep pressing the issue. I apologize for losing my voice. Maybe that's a sign from the Lord that I didn't need to keep pressing this. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one or more here that would like to follow the Lord, we give you that opportunity as we stand and sing.